All right, welcome to Legal Tech Week 4, July 10th, 2020. This is Bob Ambrogi, and we, if you haven't, uh, if this is the first time you're watching us, we are here to wrap up the top legal tech stories of the week with our panel of legal tech journalists. And joining us this week, I will let you all introduce yourselves. Uh, Molly, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Molly McDonough. I'm a media strategist and legal affairs uh, journalist based in Chicago. And Nikki Black. I am Nikki Black. I am the legal technology evangelist with my case. That truly is my official title, if you can believe it. And I write about law and technology and speak at conferences about the same. Um, I write for the ABA Journal. I write for Above the Law. I write for the Daily Record. And the My Case blog, as well as well as other outlets. Do they give you like a lectern that you can evangelize from, or, or where do you do that? I just have a special hat that I put on when I want to evangelize. <laughs> Maybe I'll show it to you one day. <laughs> I like I said, that's good. Uh, all right, uh, Zach. Hey, there, everybody. My name is Zach Warren. I'm the editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News. That's ALM's uh, outlet for anything at the intersection of law and technology. And uh, Victor Lee, how are you? I'm Victor Lee. I'm the uh, assistant managing editor for the ABA Journal. I handle business of law and technology. And my standard disclaimer is that I do not speak for either the ABA or the ABA Journal, uh, or else I, something very bad will happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Will it happen to us or to you? Well, probably just me. <laughs> All right, uh, Caroline. Hi, guys. Yeah, Caroline Hill, editor in chief of Legal IT Insider, based in the UK. Write about all things legal technology, and I do speak on behalf of Legal IT Insider. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and Joe Patrice. Joe Patrice uh, from Above the Law. I um, I, I am. I, I'll speak for the ABA then. Um, yes, if no one else will. No, uh, but no, uh, I'm, uh, you know, right for above the law, handling tech, but also everything else. This week, I have been fighting with every bar examiner in the country, basically. So that's been my, that's been my harrowing week, which is why I'm happy to be talking about tech again. All right. Sounds good. Um, we do not have a guest this week. It's just us doing our, our roundup uh, of stories. Uh, Folks out there watching and uh, listening, um, <laughs> no, there, Nick, there are not actually going to be pets involved. I don't think. Does anybody have pets that we can satisfy? I do, but they aren't handy. Oh, all right, all right. My dog may come in partway through, and if he does, I'll let you know. He's cute. My cats well, will absolutely not come in. Well, all right. If we want Nick Rishway to stay, there we go. This is Hazel. There we go. She says hi, right. and is a little are... okay. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> She was adorable. Nick says hi, Hazel, and now you got to stay for the whole time. Oh, we have rabbits. You got, can you see your rabbits, Molly? Uh, Are they close? I'll, I'll see if I can bring one of them. All right. oh, I, I can't do two. That that would be. All right. <laughs> will be very unhappy. All right. Um, all right. So where should we start? So I never start. So I'll start this week uh, just for the just to. For the heck of it, and uh, I, what my, for my, for me, the top story of the week, uh, kind of a maybe a boring legal tech story, but it's it's about LexisNexis launching this new premium legal research service, um, which I thought was I thought it was very interesting. I also don't, I still haven't quite figured out what to make of it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, 
I'm not even sure exactly who else who else wrote about it. I know I saw Gene. Zach, did you guys write about it? I think you, you wrote about it too. Or? Yeah, Frank Reddy wrote about it. Yeah, Frank. Um, I mean, it's really interesting in a ways. You know, in some ways, they're doing all the right things with it of kind of trying to integrate a lot of their their core products and and bring them together in a in a platform that has. Uh, both their, you know, as well as their legal research, their their new their their practical guidance, and they've rolled out their brief analyzer. Uh, you know, joining joining the crowd there in terms of all the legal research companies that have brief analyzers. Um, I guess what I can't quite figure out is why they've done it this way as like a separate service, a, a so-called premium service, and I didn't, why not just improve Lex's advance and make it better or, you know, add these features there. I, I just, I don't, and I, of course, West has pretty much done the same thing with, you know, Westlaw Classic or whatever they call it and Westlaw Edge. Um, but it, it just, I don't know, it just, that struck me as a little odd. And and the rollout seemed a little, um, little uncertain. I think they were clearly timing it for the American Association of Law Libraries convention next week, which is now a virtual convention. Uh, I, I know some of you folks on the on this call probably know that they, you know, were a little uncertain as to exactly what they always, you know, kind of give us an embargo date. They were a little unsure as to what the embargo date was going to be. They changed around a little bit on that and then kind of seemed at the last minute to change the embargo date. So um, I don't know. Anybody, did it strike anybody else as kind of odd or, or, or whatever? That was exactly what I, my takeaway was. I even asked, I was like, I, I see all this. I actually think it's, it's great. I think it's a great product. Yeah. And all I could think was, what's the point of the original Lexus then? Uh, and their argument was that uh, customers had demanded uh, a price, you know, some price differentiation. And I understand that, but it, it didn't strike me that this was sufficiently cooler to demand a ridiculously higher price. At which point, if it's not going to do that, just up the price to everything a small amount and then give everybody access to this. I think you're probably way better off doing that than, than trying to play around with it because I think there is a value to that. I mean, it is a better, a better offering. So I think if they gave it to everybody, I think they would increase their share of the market. But. It seems to be a better. I mean, it'll be a, definitely be a better offering when they eventually bring in analytics and, and they're talking about incorporating law 360 and, and uh, you know, other, other stuff as part of it as well. What, what am I bet? There was something, oh they, yeah, the uh, docketing stuff uh, is, is well, court link. Um, but right now it's not even there yet. It's it feels a little bit like they're testing the waters or like needed, you know, so it, it does sometimes feel like companies feel compelled to make big announcements around big conferences. <laughs> yeah. uh, and this had a little bit of that feeling to it. I, again, I think it looks like a great product. I don't mean to denigrate the product at all. I, look, I haven't tried it yet. I look forward to trying it. Um, but there was just something that felt off kilter about the rollout of it this week. Yeah, I mean, we, we wrote about it with a journal. And I remember uh, the reporter who wrote about it, Lyle Moran, he asked me, he was just like, you know, yeah, he asked me that same question. I was like, why, why wouldn't they just, why wouldn't they just make this their new product? And I was like, well, my, I think my answer was, well, Westlaw did, well, uh, you know, Westlaw did the same thing and maybe they're just doing that <laughs> because you know, they, they, they wanted I'm, to. I'm wondering, I actually don't know the answer to this because I'm not as familiar with the, with the product, but is it an integration issue? Is it too new? Is it so new or advanced that it's not, it, it takes too much to integrate into the old product? I mean, that's, that seems to be, one of the biggest hurdles to a lot of these new things is that the the cost of integration is so high 
that that it's hard to offer it as a as a single unit. That's what you would think, except that it, in theory, what they're saying is that it's built on the Lexus Advanced platform. It's it's essentially the same underlying technology. So, uh, it, you know, it feels it feels like it's a way to maximize. And I'm speaking with no knowledge because we didn't write about it um, this week. Um, unusually, actually, um, but it feels like a way to maximize revenue. Being perfectly frank with you, it feels like they've done the sums in the way that a lot of the vendors do, and they've worked out that this is a way that's going to maximize the cash. It makes it makes sense, doesn't it? Like, and and um, and then eventually they'll they'll roll it all up. But for the time being, it feels like that they've probably done the sums in the background and worked out that this is going to be more lucrative. Is that is that unfair? Do you think? Well, shocked. I'm- shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let me take the minority view here a little bit, okay? Um, so who would disagree with this statement? So let's assume that they're going to build all this stuff into it that you mentioned, docketing, analytics, that brief analyzer, AI sort of research, right? So correct me if I'm wrong, what you're suggesting is that they should take traditional legal research functionality, add docketing, which is a completely separate software product that people pay separate money for. Google, um, then uh, the brief analyzer, which is a separate product that people are paying money for. Take the, um, the uh, what else am I, docketing analytics, which is a huge thing, which uses all of, it's a, it's a really useful product that takes advantage of all the data that they own, which is one of the value that they that's one of the value propositions they bring to the table is all that data right which is what makes their analytics valuable so you're suggesting that they take all these different software products that are actually standalone products that people pay good money for wrap them all up into this traditional legal research platform and charge 20 bucks more a month i mean honestly i i i I would suggest that these are actually all incredibly valuable tools that add a ton I, i what i think they would would be doing is offering, allowing firms to pick and choose what they need. Because if you're not doing litigation, you don't need the docketing or the analytics right. for that matter. Right. Right. But the brief analyzer, also even the brief analyzer, quite frankly. So maybe that is the problem they're running into. Um, yeah. it's, but, a good, uh, it's a good point, and it, and it, and it's true. I mean, and and it, you know, it comes down to the, yeah, it's a co- it's a cost point, and you, I think that's an absolutely you know perfectly fair point, which nor- normally you would pay, you can't expect. You know, whenever we whenever we talk, any of us talk to vendors about improvements, it's inevitable that there's going to be a cost associated with that. It's how it's how they how they package it up and and how they sort of make it so, so that people are, they've got the right product for the right price. That's the, so so. You, I mean, you make a good point, Nikki. Actually, that that. that um, and I'm, and I'm sure that, um, yeah, I mean, suppose the question yeah. is whether eventually, eventually further down the road, then it will all be rolled up. But you know, absolutely right. But I think the I idea think is that sell. they will offer this as a one price <clears throat> offering for the core platform anyway. And then there will be some other components you can bring into it, like the practical guidance. You get one practical guidance included and you can bring in other subject areas. Mm. Um, but, you know, they've been kind of going that way with Lexus Advance and it's, you know, like, I mean, they've been incorporating more and more of the Lex Machina analytics into Lexus Advance and, and, and um, you know, blanking on what else, but bringing in other things into Lexus Advance. So it's kind of the direction they were already heading with, with Advance too. So, um, you know, I, I understand your point. It's, it is a good point, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you put so, us all in our place. Well done. <laughs> 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 Look, who came right. on here to be sensible, Nikki? <laughs> 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 all right. I try, you know? Yeah, all right. <laughs>
Um, all right. Any other thoughts on that before we move on to something else? All right. Well, Nikki, since you shot me down on that one, well, you, you get to go and we'll shoot you down on yours. I was just trying to be super <laughs> diplomatic. Was I not? I don't no, know. no, no, um, no. <laughs> um, well, and by the way, you can hear the dogs, even if we can't see them, um, barking in the background. Uh, I, uh, what I thought was interesting that caught my eye, um, as a former criminal defense lawyer, and I'm always, people haven't noticed the theme, interested in the intersection of um, law and tech, particularly, um, you know, the intersection of how law enforcement using tech oftentimes or how it's affecting our privacy rights, et cetera. This one's sort of similar. It was this uh, headline I came across about um, autonomous vehicles, um, ethical implications, which I know we've thought about before and it's been written about before, but this one talked about the ethical implications of um, that need to be programmed into it if you have someone using the autonomous vehicle with criminal intent which is something I'd never thought about before. You know, you have the obvious ethical issues that they're still trying to build into the cars and struggle with. Um, if there's um, an accident about to occur, is it the vehicle's job to protect the um, passengers in the vehicle or as much life as possible and therefore possibly kill the passengers in the vehicle, but avoid this accident that's gonna kill 20 people? Um, and like, who wants to drive a car that's going to sacrifice you for the greater good? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that's a, like completely just send you down the river. Um, so in that particular situation, um, I, I, you know, the, how do you balance those? And that's a troubling issue. But then even more so is um, in this particular case, you know, what if a, someone with a terroristic intent is planning to run the car into a building um, or they came up with a different thing. They're trying to, I think what they were pointing out, um, suggesting was assassinate somebody with a vehicle. Um, and they're going for the pedestrian and another car is about to get in the way and who does the car pick, you know? Um, and how do you include criminal intent into the programming of the car and how do you account for that? And I thought it was just a really interesting issue and a different take on that ethics issue in terms of building ethics into the car. And at what point is the car supposed to, I don't know how the car determines yeah. criminal intent, but. It's super interesting. And it actually got my wheels turning a little bit, even more mundane crimes say that you're parked at a bank in an autonomous vehicle, the bank gets robbed. Does the auto autonomous vehicle manufacturer have the capability just to shut down cars at the bank at that point? So nobody can get away, law enforcement can get there and like interview everybody. That would seem to be a way to shut down bank robberies right at the source, but also that's a huge violation of privacy right there for people who are just trying to get their banking done, get in and get out. Um, there's a lot of implications, I think, of more than anything else, who controls the data and the capability to actually look into that data. I, I mean, me personally, my privacy mind goes to, well, just nobody should have it. Everything should be encrypted. No access, kind of similar to the uh, law enforcement getting access to iPhones debate. But it's definitely an interesting question there. I like that one. Yeah, I just posted a link to that article that, uh, that Nikki's talking about. It, it, I mean, the other interesting thing, the article points to a longer paper, which I didn't get a chance to read. But I mean, basically, it's saying that AI needs to somehow account for sort of the moral, uh, the moral intent behind what's happening, I guess, in the car or around the car. Uh, it, I don't know how, how it would ever do that. Uh, and, and maybe it's just suggesting that, that AI is, is uh, limited in and of itself because of its inability to do that. Maybe that's what the article is saying. But 
it's, it is a really fascinating thing to think about. And it, it takes that classic example about, you know, the, the, should AI save the, the five passengers in the car or the, the two pedestrians on the street? Uh, who makes those decisions? So, so I, I'm, I'm famed of Zephyr. So, so you can use a car for any kind of crime, right? So, so the way that the, the way that autonomous vehicles, the way that the AI comes into it, is in the pre before you and I get into the vehicle. There's a lot that goes into the programming in terms of the decisions that it makes. So, I may just be not understanding, but so when I get into the car, if I want to use it for criminal intent, I'm not. I'm to be honest with you, I'm not 100 percent sure that it's that different to me using any other car because I think I mean, we've looked at bias in, in AI, and there's obviously a huge, you know, you have to consider all of the, the the fact that it's not perfect and that there's a huge amount of of things that you have to question in terms of how it's programmed. But I'm not actually really sure why, um, if you're using a car, I, I don't I don't actually I don't actually fully fully understand why it's particularly relevant. Nikki, am I missing the point? Because I could use, do, do, do you understand what I mean? I said to the the, the, the way that it's programmed that and the and the it, that happens before I get in the car to rob a bank, right? And the malicious intent. So unless you're talking about, am I missing the point, Jay? You look like I think I'm missing the point. No, well, they're, I, they're, I agree. I don't understand why. So when I program, so there's in, in programming an AR, an autonomous vehicle, there's a huge you know process that they go through, and actually the ethics from what I've read before is is massive, and obviously there's all of those considerations, and and actually that's one of the things I understand that has held back. It, the, the the development because how do they make those decisions who's in charge of whether you run over a granny or a child right <laughs> like how do you who are we to, so i think that those ethical considerations are huge but in terms of actually using it to commit a crime i'm not sure that that would make any difference using an autonomous vehicle or a normal vehicle i think the programs are already done and i'm not really understanding why mm. ai is relevant well all right, I, Joe. I, I mean, I was, I'm going to tweak yeah. the um, the hypothetical, but if you wanted to comment on that before I tweaked it, no, 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 no. I I was continuing off of that, so you respond to that first. Okay. Um, well, let me tweak the hypothetical. I think this is what they're suggesting. So, you know, you can voice interface with computers, correct? And they're supposed to be able to understand what you're saying by the context, and that's all. Sometimes can be difficult, right? But so, let's assume you can have a voice interface with your car. And let's assume the car, the program is a little more sophisticated than it is now. And there's not necessarily a trigger word where the car is triggered by that word to listen to what you're saying. Like when you say, I'm not going to say it because I have one in here and she's going to go off. But, you know, that secret Amazon word that you say. Um, <laughs> but so uh, if you say um, to someone, let's go rob that bank over there. All right, man, let's do it. I think they're sort of saying I have this imaginary person next to me. I think they're sort of saying that if you say that the car may be able to hear this. And at a, at a one text a little better and ascertain that criminality or should you program into it the ethical, the capability to determine that robbing is bad and they're about to use, you know, I mean, it's, I think definitely it's a little bit of a step from the tech we have now, but it's not that far off, right? Is, you know, the context of the language and the intent and I'm trying to understand sarcasm and whether someone's actually saying what they're saying and uh, mean what they say. So I think that I, I tweak the hypothetical and just say that they decided to come up with that intent in the car and the car could hear it, you know? Well, I think they're also yeah. saying, you know, in the hypothetical, they're saying it's sort of this classic example. You've got an autonomous car driving with no passengers in it, and it's about to get into an accident with a car full of five passengers. It can avoid the accident by swerving off to the left, but then it's going to kill a pedestrian. And so on a binary basis, you know, maybe AI is going to say, well, better to kill one pedestrian than a carload of five people. I don't know if, if that's what AI says, but, you know, that's one way of thinking about it. But But I think this is saying, well, what if that carload of five people 
knows that it the car is programmed in this way and it's, it is intentionally trying to cause that accident in order to kill that pedestrian in order, in order yeah. using that car as a as a vehicle or as a weapon essentially to kill that pedestrian uh is there a way for ai to sort of account for that in some way sorry sorry Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, yeah, I think on the robbing bit, I, I get that argument. I think it's probably better to just let them rob the bank and then catch them on the backside by downloading all the information from the car but, um, or, like, making it available. Uh, but the assassination thing I didn't really get because until that example, actually, that Bob gave. Because up until now, people were talking about assassinations, and I was like, it's not as though you can tell your car um, – take me to middle of the sidewalk, right? Like it, it, it was going to go on the road uh, and that was going to make it hard. But yeah, it, I see that argument, but my issue with it would be if you are intending to kill somebody, there are way better ways to do it and make it look like an accident than involving an autonomous car and another car that has too many people that makes it like, uh, I mean, there are ways, dude. I, you don't want to know about them, but there are ways. And, and, and I mean, I guess, I guess the fear is what? You could load up an autonomous car with like with like dynamite or TNT or fertilizer and then like drive it into like a like a building or something and, and you wouldn't lose your life because you wouldn't have to drive it. You could just send it in. But there you would think that there would be safeguards in that sense. Like 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 you like there would be ways that the car could definitely discern intent in that in that instance. Like, okay, well I'm not supposed to oh, I'm not supposed with to drive that into example, this at sixty five miles an hour with you know with like, you know, dynamite in my back seat. Yeah. Yeah. Well so with that example, that's that's a frightening example actually that could be very easily used um, for (laughs) for i mean you know parking garages sitting (laughs) under buildings that aren't secure i you know tons of ways to do that that are legal so i mean it's one thing to have it do something that's illegal um drive on a sidewalk or you know and then it's another thing for it for you to have your autonomous car do something that's purely legal that can create a massive danger and be a bomb on wheels so that's yeah that thank you victor i will now not sleep that's my uh, yeah the, i was gonna say i'm or, sure or, we'll all that rest could be the next fast and furious movie too i mean you know are we yeah. giving people ideas here <laughs> right. no, but but also i mean i kind of wonder if like like you know we're, we're also kind of holding like we're looking at it like from from the standpoint because it's, it's so binary for for the for the for the machine that it, it, it kind of takes the emotion out of it it kind of takes because 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 look like you know god forbid you know but, but like, you know, if, if a human is in a situation where there's like a, where someone is like right in front of you in a car, your first instinct is going to be to swerve out of the way or either slam on the brakes or swerve out of the way. Right. I mean, you're not going to, but you're not going to be like, okay, wait, should I swerve out of the way and, and worry that I might hit somebody in the next lane? Or, you know, should I swerve this way and worry that I might hit somebody on the opposite side? No, I mean, your first instinct is just going to be to like, to, to just get, get out of the way of this person. So, you know, so if you're not making those decisions and running through those, through, through that thought, thought pattern, you know, then the fact that a, that a machine can do it like that, you know, it, it's almost sort of like an, it's, it's sort of like a different comparison because it's like, well, of course the machine can, can, can make those determinations, but it's just because it's thinking about it in such a cold calculating way. I think that also kind of makes it un- uncomfortable for people because it's like, oh, well, they'd rather kill five people or instead of 10, or they'd rather kill one person instead of five. But it's like, well, but humans wouldn't even be able to make that determination. Right, right. The, mo- the most troubling thing is that Tesla is now the most valuable car manufacturer in the world, despite the fact that it doesn't make nearly as many cars or any money. Yeah. But that happened earlier this week, too, if yeah. anyone was paying attention. Yeah. Well, um, we, so what else do we have this week? Uh, 
I, I was, I'm thinking, was thinking about artificial intelligence and then I'm thinking about human intelligence and I'm thinking, Joe, I kind of dredged up your story from two weeks ago of uh, uh, a human intelligence story, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or, or lack thereof. I think that's fair. Uh, so early on, we were, I think we on the show have already broached the subject of the, I think we talked about the Florida judge who wrote a letter to everybody reminding them that if they're appearing in a hearing, they need to, you know, be dressed. Um, he said professionally, but he, he the rest of the letter made it clear that even casually would be a, a step up. Uh, that the, the letter, I think, uh, set, mentioned that he caught some attorneys appearing before him poolside with cover-ups on, some who were still under the covers, um, and that's not okay, uh, was the argument. And fair enough. Uh, although, I thought this judge might have been a little bit overreacting, but whatever. Uh, those dead sound like bad examples, but do they really happen? That's when somebody sent me a screenshot of a criminal hearing in California where a, a, lawyer, a defense lawyer was obviously not wearing a shirt. Uh, question of what that guy was wearing, I don't know. I shouldn't say obviously. It, up to like here and up, you could tell there was no shirt. He could have been wearing a tube top, I suppose. But that's uh, what I voted. I voted yeah. for tube top. Yeah. See, like I, I, I thought that was a good. I thought that was a good one. I was covering my bases, is what I mentioned that. But yeah, could have been a tube top. Could have been shirtless. Could have been naked. We don't really know. Uh, but it was my first real moment where I was like, oh no, people really aren't taking seriously the idea that they're on camera. The the picture is. Horrific. <laughs> Pretty incriminating, but uh, yeah, I don't know if you're going to share screen or something like yeah. Well, here I'll put the link. I'll put the link. To yeah, there you post, go. Uh, people can see it for themselves. I, I could share the screen actually, couldn't I? It's just so strange. Like, it's so strange because we've talked about the mute thing, right? And we've talked about the fact that people, we we talked about Flushgate, and we've talked about examples of where people haven't. It's a practice. We've talked about protocols that we almost need to have this like pro, you know. But actually, a mute. But mute is a whole different thing. And I'm just to be naked on camera. Yeah, there's accidents, and then there's that. That it's is right. just blatant enough that it doesn't seem like an accident. Somebody wanted to show off their pecs. <laughs> I, I share the screen, Joe, but there's so many damn ads on your freaking site that it's. I can't get through the ads to get to the stories. <laughs> it's unreal, right? Yeah. No, I mean I know, but I mean somebody's got to get paid somewhere. Those people that. that that person is not me, but someone gets paid. <laughs> my 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 way in on this is uh, is that uh, especially you, if you can, can you come up with now? the visual, yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> especially with the visual, we have come a long way from the dress code debate <laughs> for for appropriate business and business casual attire. <laughs> Unbelievable. God. Now I just lost my. Uh, if you didn't know that was a trial, the fact there's someone standing up there in a cage and <laughs> I think what's even stranger is he appears to be in his law office. Or may maybe it's his his study in his house and he was at the pool. I don't know what's going on there, but it's just yeah. yeah I mean, it, yeah. It, I think it's his. I think it's his office. Oh, like in his house. I don't think yeah. it's a office office. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Talk about uh, note to there. self, I guess. <laughs> note to self. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, we're we're all going to come on in our bikinis next week. <laughs> See, that's what Zoom needs. Instead of the virtual background, they need virtual clothing. So, like, they'll they'll like make it look like you're in a suit. 
even We're though you know, Snapchat filters now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that that's actually a really good idea. Um, all right, let's see. Who else wants? Who wants to go next? Anybody, who's got any? Molly, you want to talk about? Uh, you had a kind of a, a last-minute story you put on our list here. Oh, uh, I've just so I, I I missed a couple of weeks, so I, I don't know if how much you guys have talked about uh, do not pay and the big infusion um, of of money they just got uh, for their UK outreach. Um, but they yeah they got a twelve million dollar um, investment and. Uh, um, I, and I think, and it's mostly for UK division, um, development, but I, uh, but there was a, a story today in above the law that focused on kind of next steps for do not pay, uh, as it, as it really truly becomes this kind of robot lawyer, you know, not going after kind of these smaller cases that lawyers aren't, it's not worth lawyers time to take these, you know, contesting, uh, parking tickets and other, um, unreasonable fees. Uh, and you know what it's as it continues to grow and develop and become more mainstream, you know what that's going to look like and whether the bar um, and the legal community is going to finally uh, uh, come and start start to challenge what they're what they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm curious what you all think, whether you think it's it's headed in that direction or if it's still if it's uh, going to stay in that that. Um, that market that lawyers aren't in all it, as it is, I, you know, the point made in one of the points uh, made in the article was that, you know, it's not worth it to consult a lawyer on a hundred dollar parking ticket. Um, but, you know, do not pay can, can be in that space forever. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. Uh, maybe you were there, Bob. I think, um, at, was it a Clio or something where he, Josh Browder was, um, um, he was either, he was either one of the speakers or he was, taking part in, 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 in one of the, one of the sessions. And like, there were, there were these lawyers who like started yelling at him saying that like, he's destroying, he's, he, it's UPL. It's, he's, he's, you know, destroying the practice of law and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that was a distinctly minority view. I mean, this is, this is the Clio conference, but you know, I'm sure, you know, if you move away from that bubble and go to like more like the traditional bar associations or whatnot, that's, you know, there are people who are probably concerned about this, that it might take away their business. And they're probably going to rely on the same arguments that, that they've always used. This is unauthorized practice of law. This is consumer. This is uh, this is a consumer protection issue. This uh, you know blah blah blah. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if like you know I mean I mean I think I think he's been wanting to like move out of his lane for a while now. Um, I mean otherwise he wouldn't be soliciting these. Well, not soliciting, but he wouldn't be like you know uh, bringing in this kind of capital. And you know he's been definitely he's been expanding you know pretty radically over the last couple of years. I mean just. You look at where they were when we first wrote about them, um, Molly. Like they were, they were like just doing parking tickets. Now they're like, you know. <laughs> so I definitely, yeah. I mean, I do wonder if, 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 yeah, if, if you know, moving out of his lane, he's going to create more problems for himself uh, and, and his company. So that'll be that'll definitely be interesting to see. Well, you know, a lot of those kind of that the moving out of your lane is a, is a good way to test the market and uh, yeah. and the established practice too. Uh, we'll see how much of an um, an activist he is in the space. Uh, the other point that I wanted to just bring up, Eric Turkowicz uh, mentioned. I tweeted it today, and he retweeted it with a, a comment that um, not not in the not too distant future will there be. Um, to uh, neighbors using uh, in a contract dispute or a claim using do not pay the same robot lawyer against robot lawyer and that that's gonna and I'm I'm actually 
wondering if that's already happened with with uh, with legal zoom or or uh, any any other um, so it's like system. the flash I, I'm just, crash, I like how, but, like yeah. who is it? but I, now I'm like yeah. my brain was like oh that could be rainbow, that could rainbow, already rainbow wars <laughs> yeah. it seems to me though that this this even though he's moving out of his lane this strikes me as still one of the things that we know with technology is that it opens up you you, you molly talk about access to justice and and these these are typically people who would not turn to a lawyer right like these are still typically people who would not be consulting counsel or barrister or anyone they would actually just get you know they would get nothing and even though he's he's moving up and, and out these are still cases where they would just largely have been unmet so actually i think this just looks like an example of technology helping people who would otherwise have done nothing. I don't think that this is depriving. You know, there's so many instances of people needing advice and help which have gone unanswered because they can't afford it, because it's too small, because it's this, that, the other. This seems to me to be a perfect example of where technology is helping people. Maybe sometimes it's bad. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly the space they're in right now. The question is, as they get funding and they they expand, and they expand into kind of that middle ground where it is where there is a market for lawyers, but they maybe haven't capitalized enough on it. Um, you know, when is the bar going to push back or if, yeah. or will it? I mean, I'll tell you every, every time I've ever written about Joshua Browder or I had him on my podcast once I, I get, I get the angry lawyer emails saying, yeah. you know, this, this is a, this guy never went to law school. He doesn't know how to prepare a legal form. You know, this consumers are getting screwed. But the fact of the matter is he's he's helping people with things that no really no lawyer is going to touch most of this stuff. It's not stuff lawyers are going to do. And uh, he's not, you know, it's billed as a robot lawyer, but he's not really offering legal advice. He's helping people prepare forms and, and file claims using sort of standard procedures. And he's just making it easy for them. It's just he's just preventing them from having to kind of go out and figure out how to do it themselves. He basically just hand delivers it to them. And actually, and actually, as it gets more complex, I don't think that the technology, you know, when it gets to the point when it's starting to encroach on, on the, 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 you know, the real legal counsel, I, as far as I can, as far as it's seen, the technology is just not there yet. Right. I don't think it's at the point where it's going to start running entire cases itself. Right. It's where it's relatively simple. And I appreciate your point, Molly. Like what, what's the roadmap for this? I think it'd be really interesting to see, but right now I don't think that it's going to do, I don't, I don't think, see that that, that doesn't, I mean, I, I haven't, I, has anyone heard from Joshua that that's his own, I know that there's bound to be a ton of angry lawyers, but I don't think that they've necessarily thought it through, right? They, I don't think that, I think that the automatic default is, oh, he's taking work away from me, but that's just nonsense. <laughs> and what I think is interesting with this too, is just kind of the difference between a for-profit business and either a nonprofit or a law school, because so many law school students in the past couple of years are creating these exact forms, whether it's for bankruptcy, whether it's for what have you, trying to get underserved people into the legal system in an easier way. And it seems like the bar and uh, so many people are totally cool with that because the main intent for these law schools, for these nonprofits is quite clearly to help. But what they see do not pay is something different considering that they are raising money, they are for profit. And I think that's what scares people more than anything else. Probably not the technology, but the business aspects of it. Yeah. I mean, I'll just on to Zach's point too. One of the things that, that um, I mean, my ideal would, but not my ideal, but what I like to see and what I'm starting to see more are courts doing this, 
type of work and access. And they should be. This should be <laughs> this should be worked into the system as something that's just part of, you know, an easy way to understand how to file, how to, you know, prep, prep your documents in plain language, uh, you know, to get your appeals going. All of that stuff should be part of our justice, our current civil and criminal justice system. And it just isn't. So we're having to rely on the schools, the clinics, and then private industry to come and solve these problems because the bar hasn't been able to do it. Yeah. But I mean, again, I'm just looking at a site now and you look at some, a lot of what they're doing right now are things like how to cancel your Blue Apron account, how to cancel your you know, uh, Hulu subscription, uh, how to jump the phone queue for any company. Uh, you know, a lot of just things, how to schedule appointments with a DMV. Um, you know, these are not things you'd ever go to a lawyer for, I hope. Uh, and, uh, you know. The, the gym memberships, that was a, the big COVID well, yeah. one too. So. Right. But they also have yeah, like recovering your luggage, um, like luggage fees or whatever. And, yeah. as, and for me, I, th I think I'm a little bit in the minority here, but I like what he does. Because I do not think it's something that a lawyer, it does not undercut lawyers. It's 99% of what he's doing is stuff that a lawyer would never do. It helps simplify the consumer's lives. Some of it's legal, arguably, some of it's not. But at the end of the day, he is filling in a gap, an access to justice gap. There are a lot of other companies that offer services that truly undercut lawyers um, purporting to fill the access to justice gap. And that's not what they're doing. It's a marketing spiel, in my opinion that actually at the end of the day, they're pretending that they help solos, but they're undercutting their business, they're competing with their business. And at the end of the day, a lot of these clients are not served well because sometimes the will is a lot more complex than it seems like it should be. And sometimes bank, filing bankruptcy is more complex or divorce or any of these things. There's some legal issues they may not be aware of. And that's why you need lawyers for a lot of these because lawyers end up having to fix these things down the road. I think I'm the minority for sure amongst this group when it comes to that. But I do think there is a distinction. And right now with him in that lane, I think he's doing a great thing. And I think it's different than what these other people are doing. When he, if he does start to go out of that lane and maybe there is a reason he chose the UK because of the liberalization of, um, you know, the legal system there, that may be an easier place for him to go outside of that lane and not encounter some of these, some resistance that he might get here. But from I know him. I'm in the minority <laughs> when it comes to some of that, but at least it is. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I think it's a great thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan too. I don't. I don't know if you like think you're in the minority on. We but, love uh, disruption. <laughs> yeah. I like a lot of disruption. I just don't like disruption that when it's spun in a way when it's actually doing something different than what it does, and they try to make it sound yeah. palatable. Yeah, I That's think too often we think doing. of access to justice as, as access to the things that lawyers do, and, and access to justice is actually much broader than that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in his way, he's providing access to justice, and, and it's access in a, in a way that lawyers would never do. Uh, and that's what's important about it. Someone described access to justice to me as being accessing the your legal needs being met. Right? It's not. It's not even. It's not even to do with with means really. It's to do with are your legal needs being met? It's you know at whatever level that might be. Are your needs being met? And I think that's quite a nice way of describing yeah. it. Uh, all right. Who else has got something they want to? Uh... Should I go next? Should I talk about sure. It? So, you got some? Yeah. So, so mine was. Um, so this week um, we wrote about law firms, a, a number of UK law firms. Um, so some of the big ones that you all know, like Alan and Overy, Asher, Brian Cavelin, Paisley, Clifford Chance, and the list goes on in alphabetical order. Um, so international firms have signed um, a 
pledge, um, which is called, it's called RFC, Race Fairness Commitment, to help, um, this is to do with, um, this is following on from Black Lives Matter protests particularly, but something that's long overdue anyway. So they've pledged a commitment um, to nurture black and ethnic minority talent. Um, and um, they've pitched it as, they talked about pathfinding measures, um, they've talked about close analysis of quantitative data, monitoring of careers from recruitment to senior promotion, which is all really good stuff. But, the, but my issue was, and this, and this is obviously nothing but positive, my issue was that it's very much focused on lawyers, right? Um, and they were talking about lawyers this, lawyers that. And um, so on social media, I said, well, why is it just lawyers? So we've got, as we know, within the legal technology um, sector, so within the legal technology teams within law firms, that the, the, they've got the same diversity issues as, as within you know, the rest of the firm. So why should a pledge like this be limited to, to lawyers? Um, and on so I posted the story, which was talking about the commitment, but then also you know, saying, but it appears to be just lawyers. Um, then on social media, um, had a bit of chat, which took, one of them was Dave Cunningham from Winston and Strawn, who, who said, obviously, applaud this commitment. But said actually they you know very much agree that diversity measures should be across the whole of the firm because the statistics are terrible um and that he pointed out that winston and strawn is one of the few firms that have recently as part of their pledge um on diversity they have said that they're going to improve diversity across all staff um, and i posted a link um to that on this um, chat on linkedin um, and then um, Omar Swice from Justice Bid said that they, they talked about open letters that they've been writing to law firms and how they've been advocating for this precise thing, which is about promoting diversity throughout the law firm um, and really helping, you know, using metrics, etc. Um, so, cool. so, so there's a bit of a chat on, on LinkedIn. I've actually subsequently received um, a call, which I haven't returned, um, from the managing partner of Brian Leighton Pacer saying, you know, that, that he, so they, they were quoted at saying that um, he'd like to talk and perhaps there's more to it. So I don't know if perhaps, I've, it's certainly, if, if I've missed something, it was not picked up in the way, you know, I, I, I've just, it's not clear, it wasn't clear. So maybe that there's something else in the story. I don't know because I haven't had a chance to speak to him, but certainly it was interesting. So it's positive, really positive, but also I was like, well, why should this not be a legal tech thing? Yeah, right, yeah. Anyway, but that's not as interesting as naked yeah. barristers. Or... Are, are they committing? Are they committing to being transparent about this, about their efforts yeah. in this regard going forward, as well as uh, as well as talking about it? Yeah. So that's a great question. I mean, so I, I don't know. And interestingly, so we we I've just did my first literary TV show today, and I had Dave Cunningham from Legal Metrics on, and we were talking about that about how people need to be transparent. Um, and that even even one there's ones that are involved in Legal Metrics are sometimes reticent about sharing their data. So I think the answer is probably so at the moment it's not clear. Um, and and that's a yeah. Molly. Yeah, the pledge the pledge is transparency, but there's been no commitment to make make uh, to publish or make public the results, and, and it's unclear whether they'll even share it in that community. So, yeah. in in at least not in aggregate. So it'll it'll be. Yeah, <laughs> and the other thing, Molly, that they don't do uh, that I don't understand is there's, there doesn't seem to be, and I might tell me if I'm wrong because again, you know, you might miss it, but. There doesn't seem to be any commitment to like percentages. So by 2022, we will have so and so percentage of black 
minority ethnic staff, or whatever. This doesn't seem to be, I can't find anywhere statistics, a commitment in terms, of, and, and that's actually what clients are looking for. So if you look at some of the, some of the big um, tech companies, they are actually like Microsoft, um, Intel, they, they, they are all sort of demanding that, that those that, that law firms reach those kind of stats, you know, 10%. Um, black and minority ethnic lawyers, for example, there doesn't seem to be within this. Also, there's no kind of commitment to that to that sort of thing either. Not that I've seen. But anyway, I mean, we didn't <laughs> it's it's a great. It's a, all of these things is you know these are great. I don't want to criticise it right. just because. Um, and it's you know it's great. They they do talk about um, you know yeah. they do talk about using data and they do you know but they could, I guess that's the question isn't it? like they, they what did, is it just talk like how do we know that it's not just you know yeah, yeah. no they they did get kind of more nuanced. It's the first one I've seen that really focused on um, collecting and measuring um, in the same way across the group of firms yeah. that take the pledge, which actually is really good as long as they're, to me, is a positive development, as long as they're measuring the right things. And it's not, um, you know, it's not, you can still rank high on diversity and not have diverse partners uh, yeah. in a lot of these um, a lot of these public reports that you see. So, yeah. you know, I, I would just, I'm just hedging on this just to see kind of what it is they're actually measuring and yeah. um, and whether it'll move the needle. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's difficult to say. We need to re, I guess the, I guess the reality is that we need to revisit perhaps in a year and just, you know. That's exactly it and exactly what I was going to say. For so yeah. many of these things, it is a great first step and I'm extremely happy that people are taking this first step get back to me in a year, get back to me in two years, show me the data, show me that there's been improvement and you, that you've actually made measured steps. And I think it's important for us, everybody on this call who are journalists and holding people's feet to the fire to actually go back and do that. Because I know that that's something historically that there's always a rush. There's always something new popping up. I've been bad at going back and checking that yeah. and I need to do a better job. And I hope that all of us do for the people who take these pledges. And, yeah. and, and taking your point and Molly's point about uh, partnership, that was actually one of my more well-received tweets of this week was somebody pointed out that Cravath to this day still doesn't have a black partner, uh, which and I feel kind of bad about that because Paul Weiss, which does have a reason, you know, within big law, a, a more positive and more diverse partnership when they falter and have like a class that doesn't look great, we all talk about, ooh, they, they screwed up this year. Meanwhile, Cravat, by doing literally nothing, almost always avoids scrutiny. And that I kind of, I flagged that like, we don't talk about enough the way in which they have kind of hid their problem by never even trying. And we give a little bit too much, um, not, not, not that they don't deserve scrutiny when, when firms falter, but we, we amplify the faltering of people who have actually tried in the past and we ignore people who've like managed to avoid any scrutiny and we should flip that a little bit. Sort of like the Biden approach to campaigning, just... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has a few more things going in his favor. Uh, the other guy is doing his campaigning for him is yeah, the right, thing yeah, he has yeah, going. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, Zach, you want to, uh, you had a story you want to talk about? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just kind of a lighthearted story. But the American lawyer posted earlier this week about how some law firms are taking a new approach to opening new offices, especially in the 
uh, age of COVID, where essentially they're extremely downsized, but more than that, they're optimized for remote working. So it's going to be less corner offices, more open spaces, more flexible spaces where people can come in maybe two, three days a week, and there aren't desks just sitting idle all the time because people are working from home. Um, it could be a new paradigm with the way that law firms are thinking about how they open new offices, how many days a week people are going to be coming in, and how they plan for all of this from the very beginning, a little bit more baked into the real estate question as it probably was in the past. Um, so it just got me thinking about what the future of a law firm office looks like, how many people are actually going to be working there. Um, I think there is a story out of the UK this morning that Denton's is actually closing down two of their UK offices and just having everybody work from home because it seemed to be working well. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more people confronting this question in the coming yeah. days. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll agree and plug something here. Uh, back on June 12th, I think, uh, we published up, we had a podcast where we had some architects on who do law firm design. And we actually asked them about COVID and how it's going to change. And yeah, that was a large part of what they said that they're seeing as the trend in changing architectural designs is more remote, more fewer, less of the footprint being taken up by, but because it's also expensive. I mean, it's ridiculously yeah. expensive to have a giant office. So yeah. more communal work spaces, more remote, et cetera. Yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, which had kind of already been happening. I mean, firms, had, a lot of firms have been already moving in that direction, but certainly, undoubtedly, this will accelerate that because, uh, you know, people, is anybody ever going to go in five days a week to an office now? I, I, I just can't imagine. It's just hard to imagine. Yeah, but, it's something we've been seeing for a while with law libraries, especially how less books there because of legal right. research platforms. It's so easy to look things up. But I think that gets extended to pretty much all parts of the firm at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's super exciting from a legal tech perspective because I've been shouting from the rooftops for over a decade now, use the cloud, work from anywhere, work remotely. And I, I think I, I may or may not have mentioned this previously, but one of the guys on the technology committee at the bar Association. Uh, I chair the committee, and he recently accused me of I'm unleashing this virus, <laughs> <laughs> of unleashing the virus on the uh, world just to get lawyers to start using tech. And I was like, all right, well, if that's you know, seems to be what it took, but I would never have actually done that. But yeah. it's just so exciting to see this technology finally being at least accepted, and lawyers are starting to really consider the value of using it. And and some of it is it reduces costs, which is another thing we've always been saying. But there you go, it reduces real estate costs. So it's super exciting. I, and I think it's going to help women who have children or working parents with children in a lot of ways as well. So I think it's going to really start changing our society in a lot of positive ways once we get out on the other side of COVID. But. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, it doesn't feel like that this week. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but we wrote about CPA Global, um, IP tech company, um, which is now, it's got 3,300 staff and they're all now going to move to remote working. That we announced it on the uh, 2nd of July. So CPA Global is 3,300 staff to transition to remote working post COVID-19. They're going to have like the old hub here and there, but they've got 29 offices, which they're going to basically get rid of as of any time now, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, interesting. Meanwhile, Nick Rishwain is getting his, his money's worth in terms of animals today. <laughs> uh, he, he just came for the animals. So. 
Victor, you get the final. Did you have anything you want to uh, bring up this week? You get the final. Uh, the final. No, well, well, I, I guess I, I would just be interested to see, like, if um, you know, because obviously, given how you know, it usually just takes only like one or two, or you know, like a few big law firms to start doing it, then everyone starts doing it. So it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, once that starts to once that once that snowball starts to roll, then you know, you know, you know, we'll we'll probably see like a lot of law firms just be like, oh well, we've been planning on doing this for many years, and just you know, this is just. <laughs> something that we've been we, we we've always we've always thought wanted to do but you know blah 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 it's like well then what's been stopping you <laughs> yeah yep yeah. uh yeah I, the only other thing i thought i th actually thought uh, the uh amlaw story uh, the law.com story that uh reached it on uh uh, the, the, the legal tech companies that got PPP loans. I thought that was, a, that was somewhat interesting. Uh, I'm not exactly even sure why I think it's interesting because I, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a, a judgment to be made about whether the company took a PPP loan or not. Right. I mean, it was a possibly a wise thing to do. I mean, I know certainly some law firms have been getting criticized. Uh, my God, animals over here. Some law firms have been getting <laughs> criticized over taking these loans. Um, and, yeah. and, and, you know, the worst ones are probably the law firms that take the loans and then let go of the staff anyway. Uh, but just from a meta journalism discussion about it, that was actually something that Reese and I had a long conversation about because I was helping him with the research on that too, because it's a very large Excel sheet yeah. <laughs> with yeah. all of those. Um, but it, it is, we ended up with newsworthy because it's something about the industry and, the companies that did take the loans hopefully save jobs and it put on the spreadsheet how many jobs did they save and ultimately that's actually a good thing um but on the flip side there is kind of to your point a little bit of the watching the car wreck as you're going by not that it's a car wreck but just people want to see and are very curious um and we didn't want to denigrate as we were putting that on the website at all. That was yeah. the main thing. We yeah. just said, here are the stats, um, do with it as you will. Um, and that's kind of what we landed on. But it was, it was definitely a discussion back and forth about what we wanted to do with it. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask a question about that because we uh, we jumped on that coverage and and put up uh, like uh, some links to your reports and made some comments about it. And from a meta, meta perspective, Others uh, in our editorial staff thought, oh, look at these big firms taking all this money that they shouldn't get because it's supposed to be for small business. And I, I walked away from it more as a testament to how the stimulus was a bad stimulus, that we should have had money for these people and more money for more small businesses. And uh, it, folk, people focused on the kind of the zero sum aspect that every dollar going to a big firm was not going to the local mom and pop shop but i i just i just saw it as look it's proof that the people even big firms sometimes needed this money uh and that's why we needed to have more of it not less but uh we did have an internal fight on our side so i was actually super interested to hear that you had a meta conversation about it too because we definitely did like is it okay to set this up because it's going to cast the aspersion that like it might have been bad that they did take it and i didn't want to say that and other people did and yeah very exactly. interesting well that's why we definitely wanted quotes yeah. in there too and we were very happy that both jake case text as well as court call gave us kind of their insight as to why they took the loans yeah. um which i definitely think was helpful and 
uh, kind of gave a little bit of the human side of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you guys handled it well. I thought it was a good report. It also shows how poisoned like things are right now, how like, because like, I think the headline that I saw, and I'm sure that a lot of people saw was, oh, Democratic giant liberal, you know, David Boyce takes loan from Trump government. And it's just like, well, okay, yeah, but he's also, he also has a business to run. He also has, you know, people on his payroll he's got to worry about. So, you know, look, if, 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 if there's, and also, I mean, just looking at it from like a, you know, from a legal, from like just as a standpoint, as like a, you know, if, if, if someone's offering you this loan, uh, on very favorable terms, and it's either you know stick to your principles and say you know no I'm not taking that loan because you know, I because I don't I don't like I don't like signing the paycheck or saving all these jobs like well you know, that's not really a debate at the end of the day that's not a serious that's not a serious discussion you know? right yeah I was talking to somebody yesterday at a law firm who said their firm did not take the loan and had layoffs and had salary cuts and they were wondering well why didn't they get the loan and and, yeah. and save our jobs and uh, you know. There's no answers, for. but uh, anyway. Can we talk All about right. Kanye West? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks to everybody for listening, and thanks to all you guys for participating. Good to see Thank you. you. Have a good weekend. Have a good weekend.